Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for Sundays that we celebrate the resurrection. And Father, it is very real and true to us this morning that just as last Sunday, Easter Sunday, Christ was alive and sin and death were overcome, God, it's the same today. We are so confident in that, Father. We are looking to you that all of our sins would be forgiven, that our lives would be in you, that we would be wrapped up in your love and your hope, and today that we would worship you because of that. God, thank you for being a good Father in heaven to us and a true Savior to us. We worship you. God, we ask your blessing on our service today. We ask your blessing on the preaching of the Word, that your Holy Spirit would be in the midst of it, and that you would cause us, God, to hear the truth and be gripped by it, moved by it, even changed by it. Father, give us a true sense of urgency and need to share Jesus with others. In his name we pray, amen. If you would turn in the Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it's page 1035, if you're going to use a pew Bible, page 1035, if you're going to use a pew Bible, Romans chapter 1. So last week was Easter Sunday, and before that was Palm Sunday, and before that we did that light and dark theme, and we're getting close to jumping back into a book and, and writing that out for a long time, but before we do, I want to I I go over this with you all, and today, as you can see in the bulletin, I want to talk about sharing the gospel, helping people get right with God. And today I want to be uh, different than, than maybe our normal uh, sermon or normal worship service in the sense that I want to, as you've heard us sing, and, and Marcus, great job in choosing that song there, um, I, I want to kind of implore you all and encourage you all to be ready to talk to people about Jesus. And I want you to hear up front that this is not at all something that preachers do. This is what believers do, okay? It really is. And I want us today to kind of be gripped by that. I'm not saying at all by any means uh, that you need to be able to come and do something like this, stand up here in front of a crowd and, and try to talk about the Bible, but I am saying that if you are trusting in Christ, that I want you to be able to tell somebody that or share with them that they too ought to trust in Christ. I'm talking about uh, sitting at home at 10 o'clock at night with a loved one as you get ready to watch the news and you drink some coffee or something like that. Just casual conversation. I'm talking about, it's real common these days to grab lunch with somebody. And I'm talking about over a meal having a small conversation where you put Jesus into the middle of it. And that's what I want us to get out of today. I want to start with this verse here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. A very popular verse, a well-known verse, but I want us to get the emphasis of it. Verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's a great verse. 
The book of Romans is a long book, 16 chapters, written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to those believers in Rome, and he says, I want to come there, and I want to preach to you, and he, he wants to get there, and he wants to be able to share the gospel with them, but I want to remind you that this Paul has not had an easy road. First of all, he was such a bad guy. He was such a, a mean guy and an evil guy, to be quite honest. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He was very much so against anybody who connected themselves to Jesus. One day, as he was on the hot trail to do that even further, traveling to a place called Damascus, the Lord Jesus came to him, stopped him dead in his tracks, and saved Saul and changed his name to Paul. Well, his life was changed eternally for the better in that he became a follower of Christ. But as you can imagine, socially, his life got a little bit tougher because Paul started to now try to be on the same side as Christians as opposed to being where he was before against them. Well, they didn't receive him so well at first. They were scared. They were worried. They doubted whether this was sincere. Then, once that relationship had mended and the Lord had showed that Paul had truly been saved and now he was getting along with the, with the apostles and he was a believer in Jesus... He then had to go out into the world and start saying to all the people he was trying to get not to trust in Christ, telling them now is the time to trust in Christ. And when you change your message completely, it causes people to uh, look at you funny. It causes people to say, well, wait a second now. I remember last year you were saying the exact opposite. I remember last term or last election or last whatever, you had a different message and you've changed it now. And as Saul turned to Paul, began to preach that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world who died for your sins, people didn't receive him well. And he would still go. And we've got accounts in the Bible where he's been run out of towns. We've got accounts in the Bible where they stoned him and left him as dead, and they even thought that he was dead. And then somebody found him under the pile of stones and realized that he still had a pulse, and they pulled him out and took him back, and he uh, healed up and kept going. Paul's been through it. There are passages in the Bible where he would enter into a city, a city or a temple uh, and he would start preaching to them the gospel of Jesus and they would laugh. They would just laugh at him. They would mock him. Paul's been through all that. He's in prison because he preaches the gospel. And yet here at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we have this profound statement that I hope that you've heard before. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you look up to verse uh, 14, just two verses up, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Verse 15, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And one quickly has to ask, how is he not ashamed of it? How is he not ashamed of it? I mean, there are times when, when people are ashamed of things, and, and this message of the gospel, which tells everybody that you're a sinner, everybody that you're guilty, everybody that you have wronged God, you've disobeyed God, tells everybody that you are a needy person. Every one of us are needy before God. And, and this message at times can make you uncomfortable. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. And I want to ask here today, well, well, what is it? My first point this morning, he's not ashamed of it because the message has power. Number one, the message has power. Look what he says right after that. 
For it is the power of God for salvation. If you're new to church or or you've just been attending and haven't been thinking too deeply about it, or maybe you've been a believer for just a little bit and you've still got a lot of questions, I want you to hear this today. Real, true, authentic Christianity. Stuff that is really worshiping God. Okay? Has come about by the power of God through the Holy Spirit according to His Word. A lot of times we think that if we could do this better and we could have more eggs or more balloons, then we might get more people at that egg hunt. Or if our preacher was a little bit younger or cooler or cuter, we might be able to get more people to attend, right? And we start thinking that way. Now that's not what it really is. Christianity is a powerful movement that God does based off the truth of God's Word used by God Himself, the Holy Spirit. Paul had experienced that. He truly hated Christianity. He thought that anybody that tried to say that they were God was absolutely blaspheming, which he's right, except for when God Himself comes a man. And Jesus comes. And he hated that Jesus so much and hated those that identify with him that he was willing to kill them in the name of what he thought was God and do away with them and think that it was true worship. But as he was going to do that more and more, God himself met him and changed him. Paul had been truly saved, converted, and changed. God had changed his life. Life. He knew the power of God to change his life. He knew the power of God to expose his sins. The Apostle Paul tells us that it was the 10th commandment, the sin of the 10th commandment, that really ate at him, really got at him. I don't know if you have any conviction that you're carrying. I don't know if there are any sins in your life that still bother you. I don't know what it might be. But the Apostle Paul lets us in on it that he had worked so hard to become obedient to God's laws that he thought he obeyed God completely. He would even say, if you want to try to see anywhere in my life where you think I'm not obedient, try me and you will see I'm more obedient than everybody. He even said he was blameless according to the law. What a statement. But he says that the 10th commandment, I wonder if you remember the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment is that you should not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And Paul says that that 10th commandment bothered me because that was something I did on the inside, not on the outside. If you tell me not to steal, I can learn not to steal. You tell me not to kill people, I can cause myself to not kill people. And he said that he had gotten to where he could obey all of those, but that tenth and final commandment, thou shalt not covet, was something happening on the inside. And try as he might to not covet, he still coveted at times. He still wished he was that or wished he was this or wished he was like them or wished he was like those people or wished he had that wife or wished he had those children or or wished he had that success or, or that money or whatever it was that he longed for bothered him. And God convicted him of his sins and showed him that he needed forgiveness from God, not duty to God, not doing things for God. He needed forgiveness from God. And he met that Christ, and he believed on him, and the power of God changed Paul. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This gospel message is the power of God to save somebody. 
Number one, the message has power. In our new members class, and many of y'all have been through it, we go through what the gospel is. I want to break that down for you now, okay? Four points. If you know this, great. If you don't, jot this down. Number one, I'm going to explain the gospel in four points, okay? Everybody needs to know this, all right? The first one, and I hope that this is big enough for y'all to see, God is holy. I don't know if you're reading in the Bible in the New Testament now or reading in the Old Testament, if you're reading through the Psalms or reading through Genesis or reading through John or reading through uh, Paul's letters or wherever at you're in the Bible, you're going to start learning as you read the Bible that God is holy. See, one of our big problems today is that somebody's taught you, your Instagram accounts have taught you to read the Bible thinking first and foremost about you. What's this say about me? What's this say about me? How can this pick me up today? I wonder if there's one little sentence in here that's going to inspire me today to be happy today because that's really all I need. And you've missed the point in the Bible that the Bible's about God. The Bible is teaching us that God is holy. He is so awesome and perfect and good and and right. And that's where we need to begin. When you start beginning there, listen to me, you start beginning with how holy God is, you won't be so infatuated with yourself. You won't be so addicted to yourself because you're in awe of God. The first thing you need to know about this gospel message that has power is that God is holy. And the second thing that you need to know is that man or people are sinful. You keep reading the Bible, you will see that too. But you know what? You don't even have to read the Bible to know that. I think you've experienced it. You've probably had somebody sin against you. You've probably watched the news before. But bigger than all of that, at least I hope bigger than all that, is you've experienced that in your own life. You've said something you wish you, shouldn't, you wish you had not said. You've done something you wish you had not done. You've thought something you wish you had not thought, and you have sinned against God. The Bible is teaching us this through and through. It all began back in the Garden of Eden very early with Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. And what did they do? They ate the fruit of the tree, and that's pretty, uh, a pretty good picture of what life is like. It really is. God is holy. Number two, people are sinful. Now, if those two things are true, which I I absolutely think they are, I don't see how anybody would even argue against it. If those two two things are true, then that means we've got a problem. We've got sinful people uh, sinning against a holy God, and that's a problem. And one starts asking, okay, what's the answer? Number three is Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. If you're reading in your Bible, you will learn right away that God loved us and sent his son to die for us. You will learn right away that God uh, offers forgiveness to all who would trust in him. But that question of what it means to trust in him is trusting in Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. This is not a blind, I'm trusting in the Lord. This is not a blind, I'm just walking by faith. This is a trust in Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done because he came to us Holy God came to us, became the sinful people that we are on the cross, and Holy God killed the the, the sinful people, Jesus, on the cross. Now, I said there are four points. These three points are getting us right there to the gospel, but there's another point. It's not enough just to know these. Number four, you have to respond. And we respond to these truths with faith, or belief, and repentance. Forgive my handwriting, please. 
We respond to this with faith and repentance. Our country, a lot of the world, but especially our country, is loaded with people, even the majority of people, who affirm that, affirm that, and even affirm that. One, two, and three, they would say yes to all day long. But you know and I know that there are so many people out there who agree with one, two, and three, but don't agree with number four. Their lives are not marked by, I am trusting that Jesus died for my sins and I'm bothered by my sins, therefore I turn to him and ask him to help me stop sinning. I turn to him and say, oh God, forgive me of my sins. I turn to him and say, God, I don't want to do that thing that is sin anymore. It's bothering my conscience. It's making me feel guilty before you and I've got guilt and shame. And the only way to get, get, get rid of guilt and shame is to trust that Jesus is the answer. But when you respond and you trust God, then the Bible says that you are forgiven of all your sins, you are welcomed into the family of God, and you are made new and you become a Christian. And these four points right here are a summary of what the gospel message is. I think we could go to most anywhere in the Bible and whether we're studying the prophets or whether we're studying the law or whether we're studying the New Testament, you will see that these four things are true in the Bible wherever you're reading it at. This is a summary of the gospel. We call it the four points of the gospel. If you've been through our new members class, we hit that really hard and I want every single one of you to know that and understand that. I want that to be woven into your life and how you live and how you interact with people. When people get to talking about God, they need to know what God's like. When people get to talking about life, they need to know what we're like. When people get to talking about the answers to life, they need to know that this is the answer and there aren't any other answers. And they need to know that real believers are committed to him with this faith and repentance. It demands a response. It's not just something that you hear and you think, okay, it's something that God draws you to. If you take it back now to Romans 1.16, thinking about the gospel. So when you hear the word gospel, now I think you know the word gospel, it means good news. He says, I'm not ashamed of this. Now think about that. I'm not ashamed of this. For I know that those things are true. Why? Remember point number one? There's power in the message. The message has power. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I understand that there are a lot of people out there that don't believe. But I'm not ashamed of that message because in believing it, God has changed my life. I realize that there's a whole world out there that thinks that Josh Green and what he believes is ridiculous. I realize that there's a whole world out there of people who think that you know churches are, are for those people that need help or need a crutch or just can't figure it out or they can't do well enough on their own. I realize that. I have friends that tell me that. I've got colleagues in the community that I think really respect me but totally disagree with me on this. But Paul says, well, I'm not ashamed about it because in my heart there was the conviction of sin and the power of God cleansed my conscience washed me clean, made me new. The, the, the struggle inside of me has found peace by the power of the gospel where the holy God loves me and became sin for me through Jesus dying on the cross. And I believe that and I am holding on to it now with faith and repentance. I'm not ashamed of that message, he says, for there is power in it. Now Christianity is built on the message. Because the message has power. 
Now, if the message has power, like we believe that it does, you remember Josh Womble read to us that passage just a few minutes ago in the book of Hebrews. If you didn't hear it, because sometimes y'all don't pay attention to those readings, you know, some, some people may wonder, why do we read Scripture in the middle of the service? Well, first of all, uh, the Bible says that when the church gathers, one of the things that they do is the public reading of Scripture. It's kind of fascinating that so many churches don't do public reading of Scripture, Right? But we gather to hear the word read. We believe the word of God, and we like to hear it. We like to hear what it says. Well, one of the passages that we read earlier in the service today was Hebrews 4.12. Just listen to this verse. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is alive, and it can go to work on us. Well, Paul says, I know that to be true. It went to work on me. There was power there. Well, if there's power in the message of God, then a couple things. One, we need to make sure we know that message. We need to make sure that we're not getting the message wrong. We need to make sure that our message is clearly from God, because so often, as you know, it's easy to kind of twist the message an inch and twist the message an inch and twist the message an inch and twist the message an inch, and next thing you know, we're 12 inches away from the message, right? Well, you know what the gauge for the message is? The way God delivered it to us. The Word of God. And that's why each week, we don't want to come here and say, man, the Lord really just gave me a word this week, and you know, I've been thinking about it, and I want to share it to you all, but rather, God has given us His word, and I want to tell you what His word says, because the word is powerful in and of itself. The message has power, and to the extent that I relay the message to you, the Holy Spirit is now ready to use the message. There's power in it. So we've got to make sure we have it right. But, but the other thing, we've got to make sure we have it right. The other thing that we need to know is we need to make sure we're telling it. It's very inconsistent to say that the message has power but not want to tell it for we're ashamed of it, don't believe that it'll work, don't think it's powerful enough. So we have to tell it. We have to want to tell it. And as I said at the very opening today, I hope that's gripping you today. Do you believe it has power? I want to ask you, does it have power in your life? Has it, has it gripped you? I'm learning a lot about parenting. I didn't grow up in a home where we read the Bible and did those things and they taught me the gospel message and all that. I didn't at all. So I'm learning this as I go. Other than just a couple, a couple occasional books or, or, or meeting somebody that, that, that's trying to raise their kids that way, I, I'm learning as I go. But because the message has been so powerful in my life, I'm wanting that message to be in my children's lives. So we talk about that message all the time. We talk about those things all the time. We talk about the gospel. Because the message has power. Now, I know that perhaps even some of you think, and I know that there are people out, out here and people um, in, in the world that think, 
oh man, their, their dad's a church guy, so they'll probably grow up church guys, or their dad's a preacher, so they, they may end up being a preacher. But I want you to know that I totally, totally disagree with that on a spiritual level. Now, they may grow up and just go to church because I do. I understand that. They may grow up, as you know, and there's a lot of proof for it, they may grow up and not go to church because I do, right? Right? A lot of preacher kids out there don't want anything to do with it. But over and above both of those, you know what? There is power in this message. And God can take this message and do the same power he did in my life, the same power that I hope and trust and pray he is doing in your lives and do it in their life. And the key to that is getting that message to them. This is why I love FCA so much, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because it allows us to go with so many young people and so many teenagers and get into so many schools by way of sports, but to deliver the message. And there's power in the message. We've got to tell that message. We've got to find a way to be able to tell that message. And that's what I hope is gripping you. You've heard me tell my story before. When I was a little kid, we visited a church one time. I was 12 years old, and it was just a couple days later that they sent some people to our house, and we sat in our living room, and they explained this message to us. I'm 38. It was 26 years ago, but I remember it. And I remember sitting there and listening and thinking, I've never dealt with this before. I've never, I may have known these things, but nobody Nobody's ever told me this needs to happen. You need to stop walking out of church. You need to listen to the message and you need to respond. You need to hit your knees. You need to say, God, forgive me of my sins and I trust in Christ. That had never happened to me before and nobody had ever pushed me there and I'm thankful that they did. I like to look around and see all that God is, is doing in Fairdale, and I continue to be encouraged and amazed that God is working on so many levels in Fairdale. I love y'all's stories and how God's working in your lives and where you came from. And, and, and nearly every single one of you, I know your name and where you're at and whether you've been baptized or not or whether you're really trusting in Christ or how close you are to doing that and what's holding you back and you know all of those things, and that matters to me. But you know what? This is 2018. Do you realize that 103 years ago, 1915, this church wasn't here? And somebody who wasn't ashamed of the gospel said, let's go start a church there. And in 1916, the first Baptist church in Fairdale started. And some more people. Now, the Methodist church, praise the Lord, was already here preaching the gospel. But then this Baptist church was started. It started preaching. There's power in the message of God. And you know what's happened since then? People have heard the message, and God has changed their hearts through it. And since that's true, we need to be telling it. Notice that what Paul is saying here is, I want to get to you guys so I can tell you more, so I can preach more, so I can do more ministry there. And I'm not ashamed of it. They may kill me when I get to Rome. They may put me in prison when I get there. But when I get there, I'm going to tell y'all the message because there is power in the message. And he says, to everyone who believes, they will be saved. 
And there's no distinction either. You can be anybody from anywhere with any language, with any life, with any baggage of sin, with any skin color, with any pedigree, with any education, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Anybody that believes in Christ will be saved. And Paul is so confident in the power that this message has. Number one, the message has power. Number two, the message must be told. But then thirdly, it's got to be told in a way that that people can understand it. Which means we've got to be real. That's why, you remember, and, and maybe we need to start this back, but you remember a few years ago, some of you all, we did the testimonies up here called the Philippians 1-6 Testimonies. And do you remember how so many of them were something like, yeah, we were sitting at home and I was talking to my dad. I was laying in bed one night and it was my mom that was talking to me. Now, there are stories where somebody says they were at church and they heard a preacher and they came to Christ. But there are also lots of stories where they were in a friendship or they were in a home and somebody shared the gospel with them. And the power of God changed their life. The message has power, but it needs to be told in a way that they can understand it. It does. That's why sometimes with young people, we use a children's Bible. We want to make sure it's a good one, that it contains the actual message, but we'll use a children's Bible. We want to make sure they can understand it. The message has power. The message must be told The message needs to be told in a way that people can understand. What I want to do for you now is to to do a demonstration on the board to help you tell it. It's called the way of three circles. I don't know if you've seen it before, but it's going to be really, really helpful to you. Now, this is a way to kind of equip you with a way that you can share. You can do it at home. You can do it at work. You can do it in two minutes. You can do it in five minutes. It doesn't take long. It's not at all just for adults. Kids can do this. It's called three circles, all right? And no matter who you're talking to in life, these issues come up. The first circle starts with, I think y'all can see that at the back. Can you see that pretty good? Okay. The first circle starts with God's design. Please write this down. God's design. Man, God made us. He made us to be peaceful and loving, and he made it all good, and I think we know that. We've got that kind of longing and yearning for that inside of us, and we know that. And see, you can get to talking about this in so many ways. Every once in a while, creation may come up. One of my sons went on a field trip just this past week, and he came home, and he said, did the dinosaurs live with people, or were they before people, and and did they die? And all those questions came up, and so we got to talk about creation. And as soon as you start talking about where did we come from, you're talking about God's design. Did God make everything, and how did he make everything? But you know what else will get you talking about God's design? Something much more basic than even creation will be your conscience. And every single person here is dealing with their conscience. 
And every single household is in some struggle because of conscience, right? And as soon as we start to get a little guilty conscience, we'll get offensive and our blood pressure will start to go up and things will be a little bit more tense in the home because we're uneasy and unsettled in ourselves. And all of these things can lead us to God's design. God wanted things to be a certain way. God wanted everything to be peaceful, but it wasn't that way. And in reality, there's another circle. While God's design is how God wanted it, the reality is brokenness. Write that one down, brokenness. You might say like an egg, and this would be a little crack, you might say that we've all got a crack in us. We're all broken. Now I know that, I know there's some of people out there that are defying against this. Well, you might be broken, but I'm not. I realize that there's some macho people out there that have it all together. The world is broken. The world is broken. It is not the way it ought to be. For some of us, it's inside of us, and we struggle with identity. We don't like ourselves. For some of us, it's just things like addiction or obsession. For some of us, it's family members that have passed away, and we grieve over that. I did two funerals on Thursday, two funerals in the same day. The first one that I did had 27 grandkids. Now, I'm meaning grands and great-grands. 27. The next one that I did on Thursday had 28 grands and great-grands. Huge family. And as I interacted with that over 100 people, I heard so many times, I don't know how we're going to go on without Grandpa. Y'all, grieving is a real thing. Loss hurts. People are broken all over the place. And what happens in our brokenness, what happens in our brokenness, is that we start looking for a way to get back to this. Man, I just got to figure it out. And so sometimes we think that Doing better, man. I'm going to change myself, make some changes. And we think doing better is going to do it, but it doesn't. We think, man, education, these people are so dumb. If we could get an education, then the world would be a lot better. We think medicine sometimes will fix everything. He's messed up. He just needs to get some medicine. He'll be all right. And we could go on and on. We think, man, if I could just get some money, man, if I won the lottery, I promise you I'd be a better person. People say all kinds of things, if I just had some money. And what we're trying to do in our brokenness is we're trying to get back to here, but you can't. See, the reality in the three circles is it's going this direction. This is how it's supposed to be, but this is how it is, and there is not a way. I would love to, to hear your answers. There is not a way to get from here to here going this way. There's all of this idea of what's going to make the world a better place. You want to talk about a long, exhausting conversation? How to make the world a better place. That will wear you out. Get involved in a conversation with somebody on what needs to change to make the world a better place. Not even a world. Just try a city. Just try a school district, what it needs to make the world a better place, right? That's a long, tiring conversation. Because here's why. We think we know how to fix our brokenness, and 
we can't. You do not go this way. So it's supposed to be this way, but it's actually broken. And here's why. And this is where you may disagree, but I'm telling you what God says. The reason why is because there is sin in the world. And I made this point last week. I tried to make it nicely, but the, the, the Good Friday was a bad day. That the world is not right. There's a problem. And I asked you last Sunday if you would admit that part of the problem in the world is you. That you would stop saying that the problem is everybody else or everything else. And that in a real sense, we are all a part of the problem. Maybe not the biggest things, but in a real way, we are all flawed and we all sin and we're all contributing to the brokenness in some way. And so the grand question is, okay, if that's what it's supposed to be and this is what it is, well, what answer is there? And there is one more. One more circle. And I hope you can see that. I hope the podium's not in the way. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is God. and He came to us. You know that. Christmas to Easter. He died on the cross. After he died on the cross, he had defeated sin and death, and he rose again, and he ascended up into heaven. And the Bible makes very clear that whoever would believe in him, not go to church, not be a good person, believe in the work of Christ on the cross, his blood for your sins, his death for your life. If you would believe with all your heart, if you would respond by believing and repenting, saying, oh God, forgive me of my sins. If you would believe that, then God would save you. And so getting out of the brokenness, you go this way, okay? And right here is where I want you to see number four fits, faith and repent. You need to say, God, I am the problem. God, I have sin. God, it's not them. God, it's me. God, remove my conviction. God, cleanse me. Wash me. God, forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says that he will. The Bible says that God loves you so much that Jesus died. And if you will believe and repent, that God will save you. And when that happens, look here. When that happens, I'm going I'm to wipe this off just a little bit. Y'all know that that says faith and repentance. When that happens, look here, God brings your heart back to here. And until we get to heaven, it's not perfect yet. But God brings your heart back to here that this is what you want. This is what you understand. This is what you long for. And it may not be a complete yet, but God is in the process of making your heart think this way. God is in the process of saying, God, God, God. God is in the process of making you love God that he's holy, worship God that he's holy, because you understand this. But when you don't know this circle right here and all you're doing is going to here and thinking, what can we do? What are some solutions here to get us to a better world? It's not happening. It's not going to happen. But the gospel message that has power is Jesus. And when you go through Jesus, God brings you back to here. Now here's the thing. When you go three circles, then God creates a people like Paul in Romans 1.16, like us here in Fairdale, Kentucky, that say we know God, we know brokenness, we're not making excuses, we're not the answer, our lives are a mess ourselves. We are sinners. John 15, apart from God, we can do nothing. Lord, have mercy on us. But we go back into the world with this message saying, Jesus will heal you. Jesus will restore you. Jesus will forgive you. God's a good God. People are broken. 
Jesus is the answer. One way to say it is in the four-point gospel, but another way to do it is with the three circles. You can share that with anybody, anywhere. People may come to you and say, I'm just so broken. My mom and dad are going through this. They may come and say, I'm so broken. My, my, my son just got in trouble. He got arrested. Somebody may come to you and say, we're, we're so broken. We don't have enough money to pay our bills. And we could go on and on and on with the brokenness. And you say, you know what? Can I share something with you? Draw a circle. Draw a circle. Get to this circle and say, hey, I can totally relate. Your brokenness may not be the same as everybody else's brokenness, but there is brokenness, and the answer is Jesus. Now, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in the message. The message must be told. We've got to tell it in a way that's understandable. We've got to tell it in a way that makes sense to people. We don't necessarily want to ignore what they're dealing with and just hit them with some cold, well, let me tell you what God says. We want to be able to talk to them about Jesus, how he died on the cross for them. We want to be able to get these four truths into the conversation. We want to be able to work these three circles into the conversation so that we might say, do you want to trust in Christ? Do you want to believe? I remember when I first trusted in Christ. And I also know that now I must still be trusting in Christ. And I want to ask you here today, with all of that now, are you trusting in Christ? Have you recognized the holy God has a broken world with broken people and there is a solution but it's in not it's not in a lot of the things people try that the answer is in Jesus that we don't have to be perfect because he did we don't have to obey fully because he did but when we trust in him he does the powerful work in us if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ and you want to have your sins forgiven would you do that now? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to use a whiteboard and do some explaining. Look at what Paul says, that the message has power. And God, help us to be a people who think about, have we believed? Are we responding? Are we trusting? God, we need our sins forgiven. And Lord, I pray that you would do that powerful work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.